Hello, and welcome to the Zircona Growth Insights Podcast, bringing clarity to the complexities of consumer behavior. Episodes feature industry experts, partners, and guests across the 26 industries we track, representing nearly $4 trillion in global consumer spending. Our goal is to give you transformative insights and the most complete view of consumer and market opportunities. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Fresh Pulse, which is part of the Circana Growth Insights podcast series. Uh, Many of you regular listeners will know us as IRI Growth Insights. I'm your host, Joan Driggs, and today I'm joined by Circana's fresh expert, Jana Parker, principal of our Fresh Center of Excellence, and Circana's valued partner, Anna-Marie Rohrink, president of 210 Analytics, a research company that specializes in food retailing. We're in May, but we're going to be talking about April's highlights, springtime, spring has come. Um, So Anna-Marie, why don't you kick us off and provide us with a couple of the two or three top things that you're seeing in Fresh? You know, I think one of the big takeaways for this month is that early on in the pandemic, we pointed out that retailers always had a lot of ability to drive their own success by the items they had, by their execution in store, by their price point, their promotions, etc. But as the pandemic started, a lot of that ability to drive your own success had been taken away. And when I looked at the April result, it really seemed that that macro environment just continues to have such an enormous impact on the food retailing business, regardless of how well you execute. And I think of big headlines that came out uh, very recently, which was the decline yet again in consumer confidence. The fact that SNAP additional allotments have come to an end, taken $95 to $250 out of households that are eligible for food stamps. Um, You look at a record credit card debt of $1 trillion for the nation. So there is just simply, aside from inflation, so much pressure on that dollar. And that's just the continued either undercurrent or spotlight, however way you want to look at it, um, to the performance that we saw in April. And at the same time, a couple of little glimmers of hope when you look at fruit where deflation really did increase demand, where you look at crab, where big deflation increased demand. So there are some light points on the horizon. And and Jana, what's your thoughts? It's so interesting. Since we wrote the articles about a week ago, I went through in depth into our behavior data. And to your point about we can't just look with a microscope at a humongous landscape, we definitely see that across total food and beverage, the amount of items in each trip is still trending down. That to me is people who are thinking about just what they need, just when they need it. And that means how far you go and how many meals you can make out of something is vital. Further, the other insight that really stuck out to me is in the month of April, we asked shoppers, as we always do, two really important things that we hadn't asked in exactly this way before, then bubbled up to the headline as much this way before. Number one was we asked a direct question about the concept of shrinkflation, getting less quantity for more cost or having the cost hold stable and getting more units or volume in that package. 76% of consumers reported that they had noticed less for the same dollar. And I honestly think on the downside of that, that's been a big conversation among the CPG and the packaged goods community, right? Is how do I keep that price point that I think I can't go over? So yes, consumers are noticing that. But on the flip side, I also see things like fruit, 
like certain elements of the meat department where people are buying less pounds. And it actually is a benefit to fresh that we allow consumers to moderate their spending. Even when we package things like in the meat department, we've seen tremendous strength of smaller pound size packages. And so overall engagement, especially with fresh is still there. You know, 86% of all meals now using our, our NPD data as part of our Circana family, 86% of meals in the month of April were sourced from home. But the spending, the how you get your meal is what's important. And one last stat from our survey, 40 some odd percent of consumers for the first time this month cited making sure I use all the fresh foods I buy. 40 plus percent of people, that's how they're combating inflation. So as it relates to our topic today of fresh foods, definitely talking about how many meals is key. You know, it's interesting. I just had a conversation with John Crawford, our dairy analyst, just a short while ago. And I was asking about the increase in ultra pasteurized milks. Like what is the deal with the growth of that extra pasteurization? And he said, it's extending the shelf life. People like to make sure that they can use everything in their home. So that is combined with what you're what you're telling me. That's a cool insight right there. Yeah, absolutely, Joan. And I always love um, spending a little bit of time on LinkedIn every single day, not just to get a lot of my news, but also to see some of the conversations of real consumers that are happening. And Somebody in the produce industry posted a note about having gone out to dinner with his family of four, and it was just simple sandwiches. And they ended up spending $80 on four sandwiches and beverages, and just absolutely blown away with that. And a lot of the other um, people in his network started to comment. And it's some of the comments, you just see the statistics from the surveys come alive where somebody says, you know, before we go to the store now, um, we make sure that every single fresh item in our refrigerator is used up and the only things left are condiments and <laughs> things with longer shelf life. And somebody else goes, yeah, what we're doing now is we get takeout instead of going to a restaurant where we can still complement, like maybe buy one or two of the dishes, but bring in some fresh bakery items for dessert or whatever it is. So in other words, I think that is actually a big opportunity for retail is that whole idea of not always winning the entire meal, but also being the plus one to a restaurant occasion where the hybrid meal that we had seen develop or some people cook from scratch and have fully and semi-prepared semi items combined. I think we're seeing a lot more hybrid happening now too, where some components are sourced from food service, including convenience stores, I may add, and some items that um, that are found in the pantry or, uh, or refrigerator for sure. Definitely the concept of solving and making it easy. I think the biggest trend that we haven't yet totally mentioned, but are dancing around is we did see in Q1 of 2023, the share of spending in terms of consumer macro food and beverage spending, food service gained two points of that share. So we're now, I want to say back at a 60-40. Of course, let's remember pre-pandemic, we were almost at 50-50 or actually to make a food service. So great food at home from a per meal standpoint share is holding, but that food service spending is changing. So I think what we have to recognize is what is the role of the store in every type of meal? One of the places um, that we've seen a lot of continued strength, even with increased mobility, is in the breakfast time occasion. And I think that 
in food service, for example, in our top 15, we do it every month, right? Now we also do it year to date. What are some of the most dollar adding categories in fresh? Consistently, we are seeing bagels on that list. Consistently, we're seeing donuts on that list. But I know from our colleagues who track food service that that quick breakfast day part is the only restaurant traffic to actually rebound to pre-pandemic. So how do we kind of, how do we balance that out? Or how do we explain that if some of those convenient breakfast items that you're talking about, probably the same things that I would be grabbing, grabbing from a bakery cafe or a drive-through um, are both doing well. I think it comes back to the concept of macro value. Henry's exactly right. Not only are we seeing food inflation, but we got to remember that even the highest end of our income spectrum is also now seeing hits in their 401k in the stock market. I mean, the financial news right now to consumers is difficult. And at the end of the day, if we're speaking to a retail audience on this podcast, getting an insight like QSRs and food service are starting to tick back up at breakfast. We got to remember, just like his colleague at LinkedIn said, if you go through that drive-through at a coffee shop, that donut and that coffee is convenient, but it's also double, triple. I think our study has shown 3.4 times more expensive for that occasion. I've seen some really fantastic items going back to shelf life. If you're a donut in the morning person, even if you're going out for other things, we know that things like at-home coffee, donuts that you can buy a half a dozen and eat one a day, both of those are seen as tremendous value. And this gets back to the point of quality. That insight where someone who's looking at, let's say, an in-store bakery or the coffee aisle, they're not just gapping to the other in-store brands. They're thinking about that occasion and the quality they might get at home. Why have we seen such a massive uptick in licensed brands hitting in center store? So I say that the opportunity is in, rather than just worrying about, does my in-store bakery donut eat as well as my other grocery partners? By the way, she'll also be thinking about the Club Max, Super Center, and C-Stores. You really have to think about if your donuts are actually better quality and taste than a food service place, that's part of your consumer idea. No, we're just about to launch our new product pace setter. So here's a little teaser. Um, one of our top products that we happened to have a conversation about with the company was the Cinnabon breakfast items. They are not the exact product that you would get in a franchise bakery because that brand, man, they'll license. They've got 70 licenses they do not want to infringe on that franchise. But it's exactly what you just said. It's an illustration of what you just said, Jana. It is the quality that you expect from a bakery cafe, something completely different that you probably wouldn't make on your own, um, but it's super convenient. And it speaks to lost waste because it's a frozen product. You can pull out what you need, heat it up, enjoy it as it's as if you were having that true experience. It's the quality that you're talking about. So Again, I love how these things all are interconnected. Ladies, keep inspiring me. Yeah, um, you know, just to hook into that, why is breakfast one of the only ones that coming back? Well, I think we need to look at what patterns have reestablished. And one of the main patterns is children are back in school. And if you think about when people are running around from their home, like we know we still have more people working at home. We still are getting more people coming back into urban areas. But if you think about that morning commute or taking the kids to school or doing your morning workout, which is another reason why people that work from home might be out and about in the morning, 
those are, you know, a lot of people don't like to sit at home the entire day. You have to have one reason to go out and about. And that often is that least expensive of the three big meal occasions is that morning coffee. And so I, I'm not surprised to see that come back combined with uh, a Sirkana stat with one of the growth areas being convenience stores within that food service breakfast piece. So that really rhymes if you think about the enormous strength that some of these convenience stores have built up in that morning coffee program. And um, yeah, I, I would say, you know, growing up, I was always told breakfast is the most important um, meal of the day. I was never a breakfast eater, but I will say, you know, Joan, love your frozen food example. I mean, frozen food in breakfast has gone from waffles and pancakes and maybe some sausage to entire sandwich solutions. Um, and, and just, um, and in fact, I'm, I'm about to run a frozen food survey and we were actually playing around with, you could source mother's day brunch out of frozen. If you think about your frozen smoothie mix, your, um, your meat proteins, your waffles, your breakfasts, your, all these different items, but we often don't think about cross-merchandising and frozen the way we do in fresh. If someone was going to do it for me, I would say yes to all of the above. Yep. And frozen and fresh are honestly thought of as the consumer now as similar in quality, many of the younger consumers. But one of the things that I keep thinking about as we're having this conversation is another stat to kind of pivot. One of the stats that came out in April, as we mentioned People are not necessarily doing as big of stock up of, and, you know, we're releasing to our clients at this week, actually a deep dive on per department. Every department is seeing a loss of those big stock up trips and gaining in quick trips. Interestingly for a fresh audience, it's actually the produce department that's gaining the most in quick trips and deli, but we expected deli, right? Deli's always been a bigger part of quick trip, but produce showing up in quick trips is a good reminder of a lot of solutions for every snack and meal occasion, and it's right there in its bulk. But the reality is, is that less items means that people are not spending as much time walking up and down each part of the store. In fact, the overall majority of buyers, 46%, say that they are going in with a pre-pan list when they shop. And then another 39% said that their inflation fighter is to stick to the list and not browse. So... The amazing product you just talked about, Joan, I've actually seen because I do shop the frozen aisle. It's on my it's on my list every week, even though I'm the head of fresh. But when people are spending so little time in store, how are these great ideas going to get in front of people? And I really feel like that's an important thing to mention. But then when you're outside of the store, you have even more noise in that headspace to compete with where someone's saying, I could go to Starbucks for my morning coffee and, and breakfast treat. And I think it does go back to the benefit we have in the store is we do have their attention when they're there. They are buying things they need. How do we show them that there's these other needs too, either in the store or drive them to the store for it? And Amory, I'd love your take on that because I just keep looking at that going, when we speak, we always talk about display and packaging, but you've got to go in a store for those things. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's an interesting thought that um, we have somewhat of a captive audience and how do we absolutely optimize that spend while they're in the store. And that, of course, is, is the million dollar question. I mean, John, if you just look within the deli department, total deli household penetration, 99%. But if you even look within the verticals of meat, cheese, and deli prepared, 
all of a sudden you see massively lower households. And it's like, you know, how is it that we get people into the meat department or in the deli meat area? I'm just making up the numbers here 20 times a year. And yet they only shop the deli cheese or, or the deli um, prepared area so much less. And, and therein lies so much opportunity. And so that really does lie in cross merchandising, which of course has the issue of labor and everything else. So it is not an easy puzzle to solve, but certainly um, the, the important questions are being asked. But I think that there is something there because, and we've talked about this before with promotions, there are still the promotion, the depth of promotion still hasn't come back. We are seeing broader swaths of promotion, but people really aren't saving the money that they need to save. And as inflation is easing, you don't see any manufacturers bringing down prices, but is there an opportunity for retailers to maybe pressure some of these brands or even invest in their own programs themselves to draw more attention to some of these offerings? I think that there's a part to the promotional toolkit that doesn't cost much except for cooperation and programming. And that means a buy this, get that. You know, deli is such a perfect example, as is produce, where ultimately at most retail chains, they roll up to the same VP. Now, I know it's hard to get the frozen head of frozen to cooperate the head of fresh, but in produce at that retailer, a deeper basket for the produce department is a benefit for everyone who works in produce at that chain. And yet I rarely, if ever see a buy a salad, get some carrots, buy apples. Also, why don't you buy some oranges? I mean, I'm being super simplistic here, but ultimately a price promotion doesn't require cross merchandising. And ultimately the biggest stat, like we started this conversation with is each trip is less units. When you offer value and a buy this, get that, you're doing unit builds. So I think yeah. even been fresh, knowing that it all goes up to the fresh VP, to Anne Marie's idea about component meals, we should be having basket building by buy this and they get sense off at the register. Yes, you have to walk, but I think it will work. Yeah, and it absolutely does. I remember years ago, uh, if you walked into an HEB, every shelf had these yellow tags and it was not a pretty sight, but boy, did it work. And they tried to get rid of it because it wasn't pretty to have all these like just yellow paper with printed stuff on it. But what they were, they were meal deals. And they were exactly like you say, like buy the shredded pulled pork, uh, get our HEB private brand buns for free. And so they really immediately, instead of buying one component, the other components were either heavily discounted or free and oftentimes private brand so that people would try a new kind of item that they hadn't had before. Um, but yes, it is, it's a difficult environment in order to, to pull that off. And one of the best tips I heard, and it came from Jody Barrick, I will um, credit her. She's the VP of Deli Dairy Bakery at uh, Unify. And she said, you know, no fresh department likes others to encroach in your territory. And I said, well, I don't even think that's just true for retail. I don't think anyone likes somebody else butting into your business. Right. But she said, so what she did when she was at retails, every manager in every fresh department had to come to the table every single week with at least one item they had found in another fresh department or in another fresh department that they wanted to bring into their department. They were responsible for keeping it in stock. They were responsible for really 
say, you know, ideating with the consumer why they brought that item into their department. And I thought that's really the best way to do it because now people are enthusiastic. It is their idea. Whenever we've talked about these solutions, not silos, basket building, cross department deals, it's that everyone's sitting at the table and agreeing that one plus one equals three to four to five to six. At the end of the day, our retail community is losing depth of basket to other retailers by not giving a value. So the other thought I've been having lately is one of the blessing and curses of today's promotional landscape is many retailers have now gone to digital and holding up my cell phone, digital coupon loads. And many retailers now you need to clip the coupon on their app in order to get the the value versus the old sea of yellow tags, as you talked about Anna Marie. Digital is also an amazing playground where if someone wanted more information about the product or ideas that connect it to another product. I mean, you think about what Amazon and other websites have done to suggest other products to you when you clip for one product or put it in your cart. I think when it comes to promotion, we have to recognize it will always be difficult, A, to get people to cooperate, but B, to get things to move around. So how do we use the online platform to even just suggest within your own department other items that go nicely with this? It's rare that someone just buys salami and just eats salami, right? <laughs> By the way, salami is doing quite well. Dried Italian meats are still being very strong. It's very rare that someone just eats a dried Italian meat on their own. So I go back to in-store we know has challenges. Labor is challenging. Education is challenging. Can we use those couponing programs, those digital environments, social media to remind people what's possible? And then we always talk about the benefit of the QR code being ubiquitous, Right. And I've talked to people of a different success putting QR codes on packages and on their various um, displays. But the reality is, is that if you set the idea that if you want more, go here, and that is your goal, that has been positive. I think too often, though, folks have wanted the QR code to mean a whole host of engagement opportunities. But the reality is, is transparency, knowing more about your food, not cluttering up a department with signage and, and long read stories. And I think there's still that's where digital and QR codes come in. We're kind of coming close to our time. So I want to pivot a little bit with a, a bit of a forward looking look. Um, you know, we're in almost late spring. I, it's hard to believe. but there's been a lot of chatter about what's happening in California with things like snowmelt, you know, that pistachios might be hard to come by. Um, at the start of this, I heard that some produce prices are coming down. It's There's a lot of seasonal opportunities. But what do you see in terms of prices coming down or prices going up? What should we be watching for? I want to say one thing first, because Anna Marie is obviously very, very close to the supply community. But one of the things with up and down that I want to caution our listeners with is, yes, when you look at our monthly numbers on produce and meat, they are not up double digits, but we lapped high prices. The reality is that coming down and up is still probably 20 plus percent higher than we were in 2020. So we've got to always remember relative value. And, and I remind this when I read my own article, you know, articles about not in our industry, so pricing is high, but you make up a really good point about parts of our departments in Fresh that are unique and that we have seasonality. And we also are, for better or for worse, part of a very fragile um, environment. And so typically there are opportunities to maximize seasonal high volume boom products. And I think that's where there is some opportunity. But in terms, Anna Marie, of what you're hearing, especially from the produce community related to summer, um, I'd be very interested as well. 
You know, I think you make a good point, and that is the fact that, you know, in our reports, we can only go so deep. Of course, we have, you know, citrus items, and under that, there's oranges, and under that, there's, you know, navel, cara cara, et cetera. So in other words, you know, the, the true devil here is in the detail, and, or, yeah, um, so, it, and, and therein lies the whole issue. If you look at the flooding that was happening in California, um, let's just take strawberries. So the strawberry fields had just been planted. The first flooding happened in January. Well, that means the fields have to be um, re-inspected. That takes 60 days. Well, right as we were at the end of that 60 days, there was the second flooding. So now we have to wait another 60 days. So in other words, by the time fields can be actually cleared to be replanted, we've passed a lot of time. Now, in some commodities, other areas of the country can step in and take over or import can take over in other commodities. That's just not the case. Onions is another devastating story where some of the very late winter that we've seen up north has slowed down that production. And then it just simply takes weeks or months longer to get to those specs that the retailers are expecting. So there really is no easy answer, Joan, to say this is, is you know, everything is going to come down or everything is going to go up. Uh, we see deflation in beef right now, but we have the lowest, lowest production in like 50 years coming at us in beef uh, with import restrictions, of course. So we know that long term the beef prices are going to go up. Um, so it is a very difficult landscape, but I think the bottom line is consumers are extremely strapped for cash and you know, that just means that uh, the lack of promotions to, in, in terms of length, depth, um, and the ongoing pressure on income is going to continue to have a massive impact on, on retail. And that brings up something that I think is important that this moment in time leads us to. We know that affordable everyday essentials, berries is a good example, despite these things that have constrained the California crop, whether it's through imports or commitments of volume or just it, berries is obviously a, a huge traffic driver for retailers. So guess what? Despite these supply pressures, most retailers were still absolutely demanding that berries, some berry be on promotion regardless because they knew or they believed that if they didn't promote a berry, they were going to lose to someone else. I think this starts to be the conversation about what do we need to hold EDLP because it's an everyday essential and that communicates value versus where are those opportunities? If you think about the role of promotion in center store, it's that you're creating incrementality outside of your everyday. I think in fresh, we've always priced it as commodities and then been, I won't say always, but there's a lot of fresh, even in bakery and deli that are still priced based on commodity input costs. And it's tough for consumers then to know why they should shop you over someone else. We can't leave this conversation without mentioning that as of year to date, traditional grocery stores have lost two whole share points since 2020. And who's picked that up? Mass and super centers. And they have an EDLP strategy. And really, when we look at the consumer feedback among consumers, some of the work that was funded last year by our partners at IFPA, we went to consumers who had bought produce at a Walmart or a Target. Their only complaint was quality but they liked the ongoing availability and if they connected to everything else. So I think a strategy to consider, especially with the copious amounts of data that is now out there, is what are the products that you should really have as an EDLP within Fresh? And sure, some weeks you're gonna take a loss because of the fluctuality, fluctuation, but then where I think about the story in melons last year, when everything was up in produce, melons and especially cut melons had a fantastic year. And many retailers use them as a traffic driver in a way they had in decades. 
but we invented that. I think we can really, I think retailers who are capitalizing on where to gain those extra items because seasonality has given them a boost. Cherries are hitting, by the way, earlier it feels like than they ever have. How do you use those other items, those affordable indulgences that you're really maximizing when the market gives you that, that bonus and then holding strong on the things that matter? That's the important strategy and fresh in the future. I love that. And it kind of takes it, us back to some of the topics that we talked about. So having that EDLP strategy flows really nicely with the recommendation of pulling in other departments to find complementary products and promote that meal occasion, whatever it happens to be, to consumers across the store. Get them walking the aisles, get them to see what's available, and get them to see how the retailers are really pulling for them in these periods of high inflation and uncertainty. So with that, I'd like to thank you both for your time and we'll talk again next month. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the Zirconic Growth Insights podcast so you don't miss an episode. And let us know what you'd like us to cover. We'll serve it up in a future episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review Zirconic Growth Insights. Want to learn more? Visit us at zircona.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.